Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest to leaders and professionals in education, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So welcome back, everyone, this week. Uh, I'm doing well. I may not sound like it, but I'm a little stuffy today. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I have with me one of my dear colleagues, someone I've known for a number of years. I'm not going to expose how long we've known each other, um, but uh, someone who is a colleague of mine at Teachers College, Columbia University, uh, professor and a co-author of a book that we're going to discuss a little bit about today and just this whole idea about equity in schools. and, and uh, it has research that is on cultural response in school leadership and the like. So I'm pleased to introduce all of you to my colleague, Dr. Mark Gooden. Welcome, Mark. All right. Uh, thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Thank, thanks so much for that introduction. Yes, glad to have you. Now, I, I told you before we got started today, you know, there are a lot of people who for a long time have been talking about equity. Uh, there even uh, there are a lot of people that also have put equity into the same kind of category as as woke talk um, and and this recent backlash around uh, the call for equity in schools. But equity is not new as a as a, a goal and as a aspiration in education. Um, so, but what I'd love to do, um, we're going to talk a little bit about equity and what have you, but what I'd love to do, tell me a little bit so people can get to know you. Tell me a little bit about your background, where you started. I know you started off uh, some years ago as a teacher, now, you know, as an um, endowed chair professor, but what got you really where you are today and interested in this topic of equity? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so as you said, I, I started out as a teacher, um, secondary mathematics teacher in, Ocolum- in Columbus, Ohio, and at that time I was teaching in a, a working class community in a school that was uh, made up uh, predominantly uh, African American students. You know, as I say, from working from a working class community, and I remember uh, at that time having students who certainly were gravitating toward me in, in multiple ways around not only uh, the content knowledge, but primarily just the, the need to connect and build a relationship. And I remember my students saying to me at that time, you know, uh, one of my eighth graders saying that I was the first African-American male teacher that they had had. And uh, I said, oh, no, that, that can't be true. But uh, several students in the class corroborated that statement. So in addition to that, I remembered remember the, the, the process of connecting with my students uh, in special ways and being able to motivate them, but also having challenges that some of the other teachers did, but also seeing that there were teachers who struggled to, teach, to, to just meet the kids where they are. Uh, I, I dare say just treat them as human beings who were trying to struggle and learn, and I felt like sometimes that came across in ways that were too often defined along racial lines. 
So it raised mm-hmm. questions for me. It raised questions about how we might be treating students who uh, we had uh, preconceived notions of them because of their race. And as I said, our yeah. students were primarily African-American, working-class students. So it, it raised the question around, uh, it, at the time, I didn't have language so eloquent, but it was, there were questions around race, racism, anti-racism, uh, and equity wasn't used as much at the time. But ultimately, as I started to read and study and ultimately go back and get my Ph.D., I had major questions about how I could better support my kids and show up so that I was not uh, perpetuating some of those biases because I, didn't, I never thought that just because I was a black man that I was really removed from this possibility yeah. of carrying these biases, even though I tried to be sensitive to my students. And they confirmed that, and the parents confirmed yeah. that. But oftentimes, once again, I'd be lying if I didn't say there were certain notions that I had because of my training or lack thereof around race, racism, and equity that I didn't know I didn't have a bigger picture. So it raised questions for me that eventually led me back to graduate school to grapple with some of these really complex questions around equities and inequities in schools. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, thank you. That's helpful uh, context, uh, how you got started in it. Uh, I, my, my question is around uh, where we are now. You know, we, we, it's hard a lot of times to see progress um, when you're in the middle, you know, kind of in the, in the middle of the battle, so to speak. Uh, it, it's hard to see progress, and so much of the work that we've done in education seems like we've taken two steps forward, a half a step back, half a step forward. You know, we're back and forth. And I, I just wonder about our current both uh, political and policy situation in so many states uh, where this anti-wokeism has, has erupted uh, does what? What are you seeing around that, and how that's playing out with with work for people that are are equity advocates? Yeah, yeah. The more I hear more, I mean, experience more more of what's happening. I, I want to encourage educators and even folks who are uh, working in this, uh, trying to make us certainly more racially conscious and racially racially aware. Is we really have to be committed to to thinking about this in a couple of ways. One is we have to think about the, the long game, right? What, you know, what, is the, what, is the, what is the long game in this process? And then what are some of the short-term uh, gains that we can have as we engage in this process? And one of, the, one of the short-term things I encourage people to remember is having at your fingertips a working definition of equity. People are going to ask you that question. They're going to challenge you, especially those folks who – um, are are really against doing really this work, uh, but even people who are curious. So I always say to folks, you know, a shorthand definition you may have heard is equity really is ensuring that each child gets what they need to reach their full potential. But I want to go a little bit deeper today and help folks understand that think about what happens when we are doing education and equity uh, and doing it right. So what happens is each student gets a chance to learn and flourish in a welcoming caring, and inclusive environment. Equity requires us to really have a commitment to fair and just treatment, once again, of each student, a willingness to address structural barriers to their success, and the delivery of resources aimed at providing equitable outcomes. 
And I say aimed at providing equitable outcomes because people have come back and tried to challenge me and just say things like, are you trying, Dr. Good, to equalize outcomes? Are you trying to – and I just said, you know, I'm aiming for that. Wouldn't that be a good thing? But there's this belief that if we equalize outcomes, if we were able yeah. to do that in some way, that's, there's, there's going to be a loss. And so people say to me, well, if we were to equalize outcomes, that, that means my kids are going to, not going to get everything that they can get, and they're not going to be on the top. And we have to think about the inequities in such a statement and realize that it pushes against this idea that we should be trying to bring up and lift up those folks who have historically not gotten what they've, that they've, need, they, that they've needed and then who have also uh, been historically marginalized. And so we don't like to think about bringing those folks up to a point in, in terms of giving them what they need to succeed and, and the possibility of reaching their full potential. And so I just want to make sure folks have that working definition uh, in their pocket as they think about what equity is. And then, then as I said, the long game is a lot of folks are planning uh, really carefully and really intentionally uh, to do harm to this this whole movement, this whole process, uh, for a lot of reasons. Many folks, I think, just genuinely believe that to achieve equity is going to be a loss for them and their children. Um, they, they have a lot of other beliefs that I think sometimes are uh, somewhat twisted. But we have a history in this country uh, of really framing things around equality and saying that if we were to fight for something like equity, as I have defined it, that means that we are then providing opportunities for people who, when we admit at the end of the day, that we really think don't deserve it, right? We think that equity is somehow going to be given to kids who don't actually deserve it and who have not worked hard to achieve it. And so I want, to, yeah. I want to remind people that that's based on a flawed historical understanding, right? That's based yeah. on yeah. how we use a lens of inequity to look at certain people. And I'll just use uh, African Americans in this country for many decades, for, for centuries, have been looked at in a tone of suspiciousness, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I try to help people understand when you don't know your history and you don't understand what that tone of suspicion is, uh, of suspicion is, it's like you come into that space, and as soon as you make an error, as soon as you make a mistake, people are like, ah, I told you, I knew, yeah. I knew that person was a fraud. You know, so, so I may be a professor at Columbia University, I may be tenured, but I always say to my students and I say to colleagues all the time that for a lot of people, I'm still a suspect, and they're just yeah. waiting, yeah. right, so that yeah. we can catch him and say, ah, I told you so. And I, I, yeah. I suffice it to say it's happening currently in the news, and if people don't know their history and don't understand this, and I don't want to get us too far away from the conversation, but I want us yeah, to yeah, take no, a look at and, and reflect on what's happening with, 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 with Claudine Gay, the former president yeah. of Harvard, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What people are saying, and I want to put couches for folks because I think it's relevant. Harvard came back and said multiple times that Dr. Gay was not guilty of plagiarism. She was yes. guilty of doing scholarship where she missed a, a citation here or there. A number of scholars would be guilty of the same thing. It does That's not right. rise to the level of plagiarism. However, right. if, in fact, we have this belief system or this understood thinking, that this unaddressed, deep-seated understanding that we don't share with a lot of folks out across races that, hey, I believe that these African-American folks are intellectually inferior and by the way, she only got that job because she's an affirmative action hire. If we yes. believe that, yes. then as soon as something happens that's actually not quite uncommon in the academy, 
as soon as that, that happens, we say, ah, she had no business being there. Yeah. She was underqualified. This this woman has won all kinds of, you know, this academic prizes oh, yes. and awards, and she would yes. never get that job. You would never get that job just because of affirmative action. But, oh, uh, but I say that, it's, yeah. you know, and it becomes so believable because we take with it this kind of suspicion-based understanding that there's something different about these people and the fact that they're asking for equity means that after all they're they're substandard in some way they're, they're you know they don't quite get it and they need a hand up and they're always asking and begging for things and so i say all that to say this plays out in schools in, in multiple ways and some of the assumptions that we have that are unaddressed but again steeped in inequities is this perception that uh, i was just say again african-american kids are not entitled to the full curriculum right and right. also that they are on the verge of misbehaving when they come to class. Yeah. And so that's why yeah. when we have decades, and I'm saying decades-long problems around uh, uh, disparities in suspensions, when we have that and we look to say, wow, black kids not only make up 16% of the population, but they make up 32 33% of the first-time suspensions, 40 to 42% of the exposures. We don't look at that and say there's something wrong there. We just think, well, there's something wrong with those kids, right? Yeah. Because yeah. society always, continuously, I should say, pumps into us this belief that there's something that's always suspect about certain kids. And when they get into trouble, uh, when we catch them, it's just a matter of time before we catch them, right? And so I say all that to say um, this is all relevant when we start saying, hey, how do we go back and really, really create equitable situations where each student can learn and flourish, once again, in a welcoming, caring, and inclusive environment, not one where you show up and you feel unwelcome because you don't see yourself represented in the curriculum, you don't see yourself represented in the kind of teachers who are teaching you or the kind of leaders who are leading your school. And so uh, the expectation is, you know, you're not really supposed to be here anyway. And uh, and I'll just say, and I'll end with this. I know that there's some other questions you have to ask. Yeah, there's yeah, also oh, the belief okay. that when we're doing equity, when we're doing equity, that it's just for the black and brown kids, when in fact uh-huh. it really does impact all the kids in that space because they too recognize what inequities are, even if they can't articulate it. They have to live through that. And I've seen a number, I've engaged with a number of, of uh, white children who have said, look, we know we want our future to be this, and we recognize that our future is going to be one where there's going to be a range, a broad range of people who are racially, culturally diverse, and diverse in so many other ways. So we want to we want to start engaging in those conversations and engaging in that content before we graduate from college and have to do it on our own. If I can say yeah. that. Yes. Yes. No. No. Thank you for all of that. Uh, what you just said really reminded me, as you know. Uh, for years, um, my, one of my mentors uh, at Yale was Dr. James Comer, and mm-hmm. um, I, 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 a renowned child psychiatrist. And it reminds me of something Dr. Comer said so many years ago that, and I, I think it really applies to equity, was that he said, we have to really grapple with the dissonance that black and brown children experience in our schools and not and the dissonance is around that that missing element of representation not just in the bodies but in the behavior and patterns and cultural uh the cultural 
uh, ways of being uh, that that leave them in a lot of ways confused. And and he ended by saying this, that in order for black and brown children to succeed in today's schools, that they have to look, act, and talk differently than anyone who's ever loved them. And I want that mm. to just resonate with you for just a moment because mm-hmm. I never really considered that, is that when you come to the table and everything is outside of your cultural development, you know, so one example people always talk about uh, for using apples instead of using grapefruit or, you know, or mangoes when they're Latino kids and what have you. And, and so that those are just small examples, but that everything you put in front of them is something outside of their cultural uh, experience and their socialization. So from very small children. And so they first have to overcome that where there are other children, that there are things that are right in the middle from a, either a class perspective, a social perspective, a socioeconomic perspective that exists, that are part of these inequities that exist, um, not to mention resources. And I'm not just talking about uh, money being put into teacher salaries or anything like that. The resources I'm talking about are textbooks, for an example, or, or equipment that they might have, that those are all a part of these inequities that come up that, that they have to deal with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. It, it's, it's, um, you know, it's one of the things that, that we talk about in the book is this idea that, first of all, you know, we have to um, prioritize this focus on equity, right? And we have to prepare people in a sense to deal with, do their own emotional and intellectual work, right? And so if educators understand and remember and recognize that kids coming into the space are in many ways, I like what you just said, because that's a very thoughtful statement from Dr. Comer. In many ways, we don't think about there's this suggestion that there's something not right about where you come from. So take off yes. all of that stuff that you came through the door with and be yes. something different. Wouldn't yes. it be a wonderful thing if a teacher had said, hey, I've done my own work around reflecting around race and culture. I recognize, let's just say, as a white woman, that when I look around me, there are all kinds of examples of how I can be successful in this space. Now let me think yes. about my black boards, right? Yes. Let me yes. think about the fact that they probably have, are just coming from a class uh, or coming from the hall where somebody's always, in a sense, watching them, asking them about, you know, almost like whether they should be there. And so i got to come up with who, what should I be doing. Okay, no, I'm not a black male teacher, but what are some of the things that I can reflect upon to make them feel welcome in this environment, to make them know yes. that they're, 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 they are cared for, and then make them know that there's value in, you know, your community, right, in your culture, and I'm going to make sure that you see that. And I'm going to ask questions. I'm not going to be the expert on it, but I'm going to give you space to include that in the in this classroom because it does belong here just like you do. And so that's a yeah. very different kind of thinking around how we do the work, but, uh, but it's also necessary um, as yes. well. Yes. Well, I'm really glad when I saw 
the book that uh, you and your colleagues put together, The Five Practices for Equity-Focused School Leadership. And actually, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because now it's been several, maybe five or six years ago now, uh, time really flies, that I had uh, George Steele Harris, um, one of your co-authors, was also here on the platform talking um, mm-hmm. uh, many years ago. And so it's just great to see um, you coming in and, 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 and uh, tying that bow on nicely. Um, but, but one of, one of the uh, often asked questions that I get in principal training is, so how do we do this? Give me some examples of, of how can I be equity-minded. And as you know, our program, uh, the Summer Principals Academy, is one that you teach in, and we, we, we give them examples of the work that they can do. So for those people listening, um, I know that you have practices that you've, you've kind of outlined, and so I'd love for us to kind of do a quick overview for people to get a sense of how important this book is for their for their roles as, in school leadership. And I'm going to go a step further is that some of these where there may be school examples actually can be uh, used in, in the corporate setting as well as, as guiding frameworks about how you go about doing that. So I'd love to, to hear a little bit about the book um, where, where you talk about these five practices. So can you tell us a little bit about your, the practices? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I, I'll summarize them really quickly here and certainly take questions after that. The first one I want to say a little bit more about, which is prioritize equity leadership. That means make it first, but also aim to integrate it throughout all of your systems. So we always remind folks that look toward that system and be a systemic thinker. Work individually, work, work on, on, on an individual basis, and that's what practice two tells us. Prepare yourself emotionally and intellectually to reflect, Act and repeat for equity every single day, reflecting on your race, reflecting on your culture, your language, your sexual identity. We take folks through all those steps in practice, too. The third one is uh, I, say to, I say to people, remember like the Avengers. You want to assemble a team for equity. Uh, you want to assemble that team, but you want to lead from the top of the circle. We want you to think differently, and we're encouraging you. What we've seen is people who are successful at this work don't lead in the same way as, like, the great man theory suggests. They lead in terms of, like, a circle. They bring folks together. They, they capitalize on the many um, opportunities for people to share their talents because, as we know, the principalship is really hard work that can be isolating, and when you add equity into that, you have to have some folks on the team with you who are going to help sustain you and help you recognize that you can't do this alone. Uh, that fifth, uh, fourth practice is, uh, really moving toward change. Equity work, I like to say, is change on steroids. So I tell people, get ready. It is the most difficult change work that you can do, but it also is um, highly integrated with things that we should be doing in leadership anyway. I just suggested that as a, uh, assembling an equity team, and then I'm also talking about running meetings differently. Uh, yeah. It's something we yeah. talk about in that, in that fourth practice. Uh, understanding how do you manage change each and every day and how do you give people different responsibilities? How do you think about different routines that you engage in? So we talk, talk through what you can do to really uh, guide that equity train throughout the process. And then fifth, last but not least, is this idea of 
sustain equity. What what do we do to keep this alive? Not that it's the, you know we want this to be the flavor of the month, right? And sustaining yeah, equity yeah. requires you to collaborate. You want to reiterate that with others and work on it every single day to integrate it within your systems. Find ways to attach this to to the things that you do. You know every day. It's important, for instance, to integrate equity. And if we're looking at our special education and we see and oversubscribing the black boys when we start this work, and we say we've been doing equity work for for two years, and we still see at the end of that no decrease in the oversubscribing of, of black boys in special education in those categories of emotionally disturbed, which happens as research has shown us over and over again, then we haven't done much to change an inequitable environment for that uh, group of students. We just have not done that. And so those five steps, again, we want to prioritize. We want to prepare for equity emotionally and intellectually. We want to assemble a team. We want to move toward doing real change work by looking at our our routines first and the ways in which we do the business as well. And then we want to um, uh, think about the roles as a part of that process. And then step five is sustaining equity uh, in, in the whole process, keeping it alive uh, longer than just doing it for one year and then moving away from it. So so that's it in yeah. a nutshell. Happy to talk through what those five practices are. We've got a l- lot of good feedback from folks saying the book really yeah. speaks to them. Um, we, we talk early on in the book about narratives or stories that we tell ourselves in schools, and that has resonated with so many folks because those stories are familiar to people. They're not positive stories yeah. either, but what we're yeah. suggesting yeah. is we all have our own personal narratives that can replace those negative stories that have not gotten us anywhere uh, in terms of um, not moving the needle toward becoming more equitable in schools. Yes, 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 definitely. Thank you for that. So, you know, there are a lot of people that have asked the question, uh, for examples, around uh, places that, because as you mentioned, it's, it's difficult work. But there are people that have yeah. been at it a long time at this point. Uh, there are some places where people are really just starting out, and and it's taking taking hold. Uh, what are there any places you can point to or examples of places that have been engaged in the work, and you say, you know, here's a good place for to look at. They're doing this very well, or they're they're make they're going in the right direction. Any any of those that you, you can think of that people might look into? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so uh, one that comes to mind, and, and, and there are a couple, but one, one that comes to, to mind, um, and let me say there, there's more than a couple, but I think there are different districts are doing different aspects of this well. The complexity around how, how, um, how engaged boards are how in support those boards of education is important the strength of the leadership, the communication. So all of those things that we know about organizational development need to be in place as we're thinking about equity. And so that's why I make this argument about attaching this uh, to, to systems. Um, you know, I will say I worked on a, uh, at a school district in, 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 uh, uh, in Texas, and, you know, this is a kind of public information, but I, I've done a keynote uh, in uh, Ames Independent School District, but I also did some, um, some work with that school district and that that was a district that historically had been predominantly white uh, and wealthy, and that was a district that also was interested in changing. And a lot of that change was, was coming from some of the young people who had graduated from the district and had gone on to some of the finest 
universities in the country. And so they reached back to the Board of Education. Uh, this was on um, uh, when the country was going through the racial reckoning, uh, right after the uh, unfortunate murder of uh, George Floyd. And they were saying, look, we want to do more uh, to support folks coming behind us who haven't been exposed to uh, what, what kind of inequities there are, and we want to talk about what has happened within our school district. And so that district came a long way in terms of developing policies, uh, in terms of really having a board that uh, stayed steadfast in the process, even through a lot of uh, criticism. I mean, there were, there were articles written in the local newspaper and uh, also uh, like the Texas Monthly. I say that to say that board worked very hard uh, you know, with the support of a consultant, of course, to, to, to move toward creating actual policies that look at how the work of equity was going to be integrated in their um, continuous improvement plans, um, you know, school improvement plans. And so there were, there were instances of where it was so that the people would see it, but also they have what is called, um, um, and, and I, I'll just say, it's like a, an equity leadership team for the district. And that's not what they call it specifically, but I'm using that term because that's what we talk about in the book. And they've, they've experienced some success. They've experienced change. They've experienced a groundswell of students in the district participating in the leadership, which I was particularly excited about when I, excited about when I had a chance to work with them. But they've continued that. And, and those, those young folks have continued to engage in this work and inspire and motivate adults to do the same. Now, not everybody's on board, but people who were on the fence, there were a number of folks who were on the fence, have come along, and many of those folks have been influenced by students who were doing the work and saying, hey, this is what we definitely want for our future, which is, which is really quite inspiring. But, hey, like, uh, like a lot of other districts, they have a long, long way to go. But I think yeah, the philosophy yeah. is in place given that the board has put in policies, which, as we know, when you put in policies, those have a tendency. They, you know, policy, policies can be overturned, of course, but right. they, they, they have a tendency to be more sustainable uh, and folks can look to them to point to what we are trying to do here and how the policy supports what we're doing. And so what we're doing is not something that's illegal and suspect and, you know, woke ideology that doesn't support learning. And I, I think they were very careful to think about that and look at and learn and taught themselves, I mean, learn um, and, and work together to understand what it meant to 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 just be great leaders in the, in the school district. Yeah, yeah. Wow, great. That That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. As I told you, 30 minutes goes fast, and we're we're really out of time now. But I, I, what I want to do, um, I know that um, you have this book, but other places that you've written, the work that you're doing, please share any social media handles, email addresses, websites where you want to direct people so that they can follow your work, support you, and and continue with their their uh, in, endeavors to do uh, equity work. So please share. Absolutely. So uh, so real simple. I try to be as consistent as I can here. Here, um, just to add, uh, what, what good and PhD is the common thing. That's G O O D E N P H D, as in doctor uh, philosophy. Um, my Twitter handle is just at good and PhD. My web page is goodandphd.com. And my Instagram handle, again, is uh, uh, at GoodenPhD. So those are the ways to connect. Um, happy, to, happy to hear from folks. And it, once you go there, you'll find that my email address is there and that there's also a way to contact me 
on the website at goodphd.com. Or if you're like, you know, uh, some of the younger followers or whatever, I always say uh, my students, they prefer the social media of Twitter and Instagram uh, as ways to connect. Uh, Twitter, which I guess X formerly known as Twitter is the proper way you have to say it now. Yes. <laughs> yes, I think it's taken a while for us to get get used to saying X, but uh, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, well, listen, Mark, I know you're on sabbatical, and I just want to thank you for peeking your head out a little bit and and joining me and and um, sharing your work. Uh, so many people have, have uh, talked about this uh, today, and so I'm sure you've added to them just as you have to me. And so looking forward to having you back after the summer uh, uh, around on campus. Uh, but until then, uh, go well, stay well. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thank you. I enjoyed it.